What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Write Who You Know. I'm Matt Hausfetter, and this is the Screenwriting Podcast. That's the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Uh, we are one week back uh, with, a, with a WGA AMPTP deal. And uh, in the words of William H. Macy in Fargo, it's a pretty sweet deal there, though, Weed. You're going to want to want that true coat. Uh, so I'm stoked. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of all the deals with you guys because you can go listen to that on Billy Ray's Strike Podcast uh, over on Deadline. This is really uh, this is really the down and dirty, the gritty, the let's talk shop with our pals from the Writers Room podcast. And speaking of pals on the podcast. I cannot rave enough about Nikki Toscano. She is one of the most badass and funny and just all-around great hangs and writers. Um, she has written on shows like Revenge, which is where we met, Hunters on Amazon. She was the showrunner and executive producer. She's the showrunner and executive producer of The Offer, which is the awesome series about the creating of The Godfather. Uh, she has worked on shows like Bates Motel. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. She's got a deal at Paramount, so she should be cooking up some new hotness for us any moment uh, now that the strike is over. Um, but I think you're really going to dig this episode. I, I love hanging out with her. She she's just she's so fun. Uh, I think you're going to dig this. So light up a smoke. If if we're going to be honest, Nikki and I, uh, we became buddies because she always had cigarettes on Revenge. And I was in my 20s, just like like a fiend, just looking for a hit. So in honor of Nikki and Mai's uh, writer-friend relationship, pour yourself a nice drink, two fingers or whatever you got, and fire up a Marlboro Light, because here we are for another episode of Write Who You Know. Pass. Nope. We love Matt. It's just a really hard time right now. The industry's contracting. Come back to us when you have some bigger attachments. Tell them right what you know. No, tell them right who you know. I want to take it back, first of all, and ask you, because I think I know the answer, but like, did you did you grow up in Boston? Or why do I think that? Because I'm obsessed with Whitey Bulger, and that's why you think Okay, that. but when we met, was your Instagram handle Whitey's Girl, or did I make that up? Yes, it was, and then I realized that that was incredibly tone deaf. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that's and- the only reason because, and that's why when my buddy Jason was like, who, like, who, I was like, I literally thought of your Instagram. I was like, there's nobody better than Nikki Toscano. And it's because of your Instagram. So, well, maybe you think it's tone deaf. Like, people, my wife is like, how can you smoke pot all the time on Instagram? I'm like, because I've gotten two jobs from it. That's why. Like, I, you know, like, truly. So where did you grow up? I grew up in, I'm, I was born in upstate New York. I was raised um, in, a, in a, a suburb outside of D.C., like 10 minutes outside of D.C., um, I lived there until I was whatever, 17, 18. I went to college and I kind of never went back. Did, when did you, like, what made you, or like, when did you be like, I want to write? You know, like, how, I, did you? Um, I mean, I started, I just didn't know that writing could be a profession. It certainly wasn't like lauded by my parents, you know, and, and like, yes, go down this route where you're likely going to be poor for the, your entire life. Um, <laughs> So in my house, it was like, be a doctor or a lawyer. And because we were from D.C., it was like, or go into the government or be a spy or or like what. what <laughs> you were, by the way, you as a spy <laughs> is a pilot I could sell in five seconds. <laughs> I, th- I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's like those things or like a sales rep. Like those are the jobs that come out of there. So I didn't even know that it was like a thing. Like, and um 
And so I, you know, in, in high school I wrote, but it was like just really, really bad, sad poetry. And, um, and then I started like writing short stories and then I started writing, you know, I, I wrote some plays like, you know, throughout like, you know, junior high and, and, um, but I just thought it was like a hobby. I didn't think that that was something that you could make a living at. So I, when I went to college, I was pre-med and then about, Oh my God. And then I realized how much science was involved <laughs> and that my priorities were drinking um, was was pretty much just drinking. Um, and and so I switched over to um, like English with a concentration in journalism and um, mainly because I had a, a very, very um, hot female professor who I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I just want to write. I just want to write and follow in her footsteps. And she had a vocabulary that was like all $5 words. My vocabulary is not. Um, so I just wanted to be her. Um, but that's sort of, you know, how I. Where did you go it. to school? where did you go to college? I went to undergrad at University of Delaware. Okay. Go Blue Hens. And then I went, I got my master's at USC. All right. Are you you're probably like the most successful person to come out of the uh, the blue hen? <laughs> like do they, <laughs> do they ever call of, you for donations? Actually, they, they, like, Nikki, do. look, we saw they, the offer and we read the deadline <laughs> about your overall. Listen, <laughs> yeah, they definitely send they, they definitely send me a lot of stuff about donations. I think the rest of it they just don't even care or they don't know. Um, but um, um, sadly, I'm kind of a um, crap alumni, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> But um, but I but I enjoyed my my experience there and and it, it was great. And after SC, like, what was your first move of like I'm post collegial or you know masters? Like what like what the fuck do I do now? Well, I went to I moved to LA. Like honestly, I graduated from college early. Spent what would have been my senior year in college living in Vail, Colorado, doing what you do when you live in Vail, Colorado. Colorado and you work on the mountain dating ski instructors is that like the um yeah 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 you, you, you that's do. what I was guessing when you're like that's what you do on in yeah Vail. no no I'm just you're basically like a waste of space but it's <laughs> so much fun um it's an incredible time and then I kind of just kept on going west I knew I wanted to be out in LA I didn't know why and I was out here for like a couple years and I was a journalism major you know undergrad so I started writing for a bunch of magazines out here like Black Book and Nylon and doing, you know, profiles on um, actors and directors and commentary pieces on an industry that I wasn't even a part of. And then, you know, about two or three years after I was out here, I was just like, all right, I'm going to go back to school because I don't know what I want to do. And I don't and 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 journalism wasn't doing it for me. At least those kinds of pieces weren't doing it for me. And so I went back and I went to, you know, USC. And then I took a, I was in this sort of, um, this writing program that is now defunct. Um, but it was sort of, uh, it was sort of, um, like associate, like you could take screenwriting classes, you could take fiction classes, poetry, nonfiction, um, playwriting, um, and so I just sort of zeroed in on screenwriting and fiction, um, not knowing what I wanted to do. And then I took a tele uh, television um, uh, writing class there. And that's where I was like, yes, this is what it is. And this was at a time where, you know, television was not cool. 
Um, no, no, like up until House of Cards, like people, like the movie people, look down on the TV people as like you peasants. Yeah, I mean, I feel like yeah, yeah, even after, but like, but like, <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it was like it was just like, I don't know. I, I guess like the rhythm of TV and and just the idea of like having to write under really strict deadlines, and that's that was something that was that I was used to from journalism. So I just sort of took that and ran with it. And I just, the structure felt right to me. You know, I've written features before and it's fine, but not in the same way that TV just feels like, you know, we fit. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so then I just started like writing things and and trying to break into the industry, which was very, very difficult at the time. And it's like, even if going to USC, it's not like you're given some, like you're handed some magic Rolodex and it's like, here, go ahead. You know, call up Spielberg, Spielberg because he's totally excited to help you. Yeah. An absolute nobody. Like, you know what? Just, he's like, sign me up. Um, yeah. So I, I did that and then slowly started trying to break in. Do you remember like what the one thing that you wrote that was like, this is the thing where I'm very proud of to be like, I wrote this, my name's on this. Like, you know, most people, we would call it a sample and, you know, now, but do you remember the first thing that you wrote were like, this is a fucking badass? I remember the thing that people thought was badass. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, this was back in the day where breaking into TV, you were supposed to write a spec, not originals, right? You weren't you're supposed to stay away from originals. And I was kind of like, can I curse? Yeah, of course. I, I was kind of like, fuck that. I'm not, I'm not, I, like, I, I did write an incredible, like, like, I probably wrote six or seven specs, and the range was, like, all the fuck What did you like, write specs of? Please, I need to know. Okay. There's, like, a hot cheers episode. Okay, I'm, I'm about to age myself. No, so. you won't, I promise. Okay. I, I did, um, the practice was my first spec. I did that at USC. Okay. Um, I did Alias 24, The Shield, Six Feet Under, Sex in the City, um, Sopranos. <sighs> Yo, hold on. First of all, that's incredible. I need to know what your Soprano spec was about. Do you like? I, don't, <laughs> okay. I honestly like, don't remember. Okay. I do remember that my Shield spec had, like, it was it was a very sort of push the envelope spec, and I remember that there was a bestiality case they were dealing with. So that was that <laughs> very was interesting on brand. to. Um, to sort of write the humor of the, the humor of that situation and try and you know fit it into um, various characters on that show reacting to um, that. And so you wrote all those like what did they get like what was the first you know did you like try and get an agent first or like what like how like what no, was the like order I of said, operations? Like I wrote all of those specs and I was having a really hard time breaking in. I didn't know anyone. I didn't you know I like uh, so I was just like and. The way that I sort of started, I, I was like, who do I know? And I knew nobody. nobody. And um, my an ex-boyfriend that I <laughs> that was a little bit older than me played in like a 30 plus like baseball league. And one of the guys that was on his team was like a writer for Jay Leno. So I took him out to lunch and I asked him, what, what do I do? Like, I have no, I don't know anyone. Right. And, um, and yes, there were people like from USC, like students that I was still in contact with and working shop with, I mean, workshopping shit with, but like, 
it was, you know, it's like, I don't even know what to do here. And so he sat me down. I took him to lunch. He sat me down. He was really, really sort of candid with me and was like, all right, just send me something of yours. And I did. And I sent him an original pilot. um, And he read it, liked it, passed it on to another woman again, like with tangential ties to the business. And that, but that woman passed it on to the woman that became my manager at that time. Oh shit! All right. So that was the whole thing. And then when I was writing my Shield spec, I came up with an idea that was like very much in the vein of, um, you know. Alias, you know, badass chick at the center, told in multiple time periods, and it was a very ambitious script. And I think land, like sticking the landing on that, was the thing that changed my, you know, changed my career. I started because of the fact that I wasn't breaking in. I was, I was honestly spending all of the money that um, I was making, managing and 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 bartending um, bars all over town. To, for these entrance fees into these contests, and I won two back to back, and that changed my and that changed my career just because I felt like my manager was then equipped to talk about me in some kind of way that distinguished me from others. I guess. No, it's a really good point because I remember like there are, there are small like triumphs that we have where my manager is like, no, like now I can tell people you be bidi bidi ba. So I feel like that is a huge fucking deal to get that first one do you you still you're not still with that same manager are you no i'm not i'm okay. not um it was it was a long time ago but she was so lovely to me and believed in me when just <laughs> nobody else did. do you remember the phone call when she like had been like nikki like i read your thing and like i need to be your manager like i need to meet you like was it a moment I don't for think you that, i don't think that those were the words <laughs> that she used but um but yeah it was absolutely a moment i mean it was uh you know and, and even after that it was like another like couple of years of just writing and I just kept on thinking to myself if I keep on like pumping out material right if you're a writer you should be writing you should be writing all of the time like it doesn't matter like like you get a rejection it's like boo fucking who like the moment you get the rejection you sit back down and you get in front of the computer and that's the only sort of way to control your own fate you know I mean that's yes a hundred percent uh what was the first tv job you had um, it was on a um, it was on a show that was called it was a legal drama that was called Close to Home. It was a Bruckheimer Warner Brothers CBS show. It ran two seasons. I was hired in on the second season, um, and um, and. Um, yeah, and- <laughs> you're making a funny face, and I, I, I like what, what it was. It was a learning experience. It was like like every. Were you a staff writer? Yeah, I was a staff writer. You know what I mean? I like didn't you know I I was there were a lot of wonderful wonderful people on that writing staff that I'm still friends with today. Um, it was an incredibly you know uh, it was. Uh, just like a lot to learn, a lot coming at you. There were a lot of very intelligent people in that room. And was it, was, it all like men for the most part? Yes, always. It was always men. Were you the only woman or were there any? No, other? I uh No, I was not. There were two other women in addition to me, but it was a bigger like it was probably three out of ten. Um and um yeah, I mean it was just a different time. It was just sort of a different time back then. And, you know, you know, I was a staff writer. You know, my voice didn't matter yet. Got it. Was, did you like? 
if you were to, if anyone was like, Nikki, I'm starting a job tomorrow as a staff writer, like, what would you, is there like one piece of advice you would tell them? And I know not to ask you like advice, but like, I always tell people, you know, people are like, what do I do? I'm just like, I'm like, be a fucking cheerleader for your boss. And if you notice that he or she is running in one direction, just run with them. Don't fucking try to be story police or whatever. Like, even if you don't agree, just like, their show, dude. I would say, um, um, my probably biggest, the, the biggest piece of advice I would say is um, um, don't pitch past the sell. A lot of times you're so excited that your showrunner has like like zeroed in and, and taken your idea and yay, that's great. So you keep on adding to it just because you're feeling like the, <laughs> yeah. you're feeling like the energy from yeah. it. No, you're done. You're done. You win, you get out. That's <laughs> Hang it. Hang up when you get Hang a yes, up. dude. The other thing I would say is don't pitch past the pass. If your showrunner decides not to go down a road, like, yes, there are people in the room that need to call them out on if that road is not the right road to be going down, you're not that person. So if you you can absolutely raise, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, you can absolutely raise an objection. But if your showrunner moves on from that, don't keep bringing it up. Don't like if you're stuck on it, like, you know what I mean? Dude, yeah. like write, Shut up. write in your journal about it because <laughs> it's not going to go over well. You know, now that you are in the captain's chair, when you are meeting people for staffing shows, like what are some of the things that you're looking for other than like, do I want to kill this person? Or like, is there, you know, aside from reading a good script, when you interview people, what are you sort of trying to find out or click in or? I feel like the mistakes that most new showrunners make is, and I'm saying myself included, um, is that hiring people off an amazing amount of material with no, no, like no actual experience. And there have been shows that I have been on, whether it be as a, you know, as a showrunner or as a upper level writer where a showrunner shared what they were thinking vis-a-vis -vis the hiring process, I find that sometimes somebody can write an amazing pilot, but they have no idea how to pump out episodes of television. I am definitely in the minority on this, but in all of my rooms, I look for somebody that has come out of network, Be like particularly procedurals, because you know what? They know structure. They can build an episode of television normally. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, it, it, it can be a, a procedural with character-driven elements or, or even like, you know, we spent time together on a little show called Revenge, yeah. which was a 22-episode season that was a serialized show. And that was an incredibly incredibly like large endeavor and um, and having somebody that has been in the ranks and when you're having to write under the gun, create under the gun, they're just better at structure. They're yeah. better at um, they're better at just like seeing a season of television where sometimes where somebody can write something extraordinary. And yes, you can, I do believe it's our job to train those people how to get there. You know, I, like I definitely have a process of like going through what is wrong, why it's wrong, and showing and giving them the tools to um, to be able to fix it themselves. Like not just, you know, I, I think that it's very easy and, and sometimes time, time requires you to do this, but I think it's very easy for people to just take things away from people if it doesn't work and, and that's not helping anybody. Yeah. Like you need to sit down and tell them, you know, I remember I was on 
Detroit 187, and one of my favorite bosses is this guy named David Zabel, who was on ER forever. He ran um, Detroit 187. Jason Richmond created it. And I remember I had an outline that had, you know, some issues with it. And he literally, like, you know, sat down with me, spun a, like, an extra monitor my way and showed me how he was fixing my outline. And, and you know, he was the only person that had ever done that. And I learned so much just from that experience. Like, did he want to do that? Did he want to sit down and do that with me? Fuck no. But he did it. And you know what? Like, it's, he's, because it's like, I do believe it's the job of a showrunner to be building the showrunners underneath you, yeah. you know? And not everyone has that philosophy and that's okay. It's just, that was what I came up with. Like, especially being under like someone like David Zabel who came up under John Wells and that whole ER camp. And, um, same, same thing with Bill Lawrence on my first show. He did like showrunner school. Cause he was like, George Shapiro taught me how to do this on spin city. So like, it's my fucking duty to show you guys. Like this is how I talk to the network. This is how I take notes. This is how I don't take notes. This is how I do table reads. This is how I do. And he was like, I don't do outlines cause I'm Bill Lawrence now, but like I will pitch a story area to that, to them. And I think it's incredibly valuable to, like you're saying, like fucking pass the torch to the people that are paying attention and care. It's incredibly important because, you know, it's you got to pay it forward. Absolutely. And I think that there's like, you know, I think that it's really important to have like like an inclusive quality at the room. And what I mean by that is like the ability for everyone to speak. Like one of the other things I was thinking about when you were asking about like what advice would I give a staff writer is if you have something important to say, say it, but don't feel like you have to be talking all of the time. Like sometimes it's just great to listen, yeah. you know, to take it in. I guess what we mentioned revenge a little bit. That's where I met you. Yeah. First of all, thank you for all the cigarettes. Yes. Uh, the, the, the one thing that I took away from that memory that I have, and I've brought this up before on other episodes is like, you know, when you mentioned like the, how hard it is to turn out fucking 22 episodes of procedural television. I'll never forget. And like season two, Mike was on the phone with like the head of ABC and he's like, dude, I can't I, like just, you sh these should be 16 or 12 episode orders. Like he, it was almost like in a weird way he was seeing the future of television of like, I don't know how anyone's going to fucking do 22 episodes of this anymore. And he kind of was right in a fucking weird way. Like I couldn't believe the rate at which you guys were churning out episodes of television. It was insane and because yes there was a very small sort of you know emily's takedown of the week. oh yeah that you was know, like for the first five or six or seven i but remember that that was so small i mean it really was a serialized show but you think like there's been so many other you know other serialized shows that have been you know like in in the same vein and it, it is it's it's incredibly hard to maintain and you know there's sort of a divide right now because there's there's you know there's there's broadcast and then there's sort of like cable and and, and in particular streaming which is a completely different model like a lot of these streamers yeah. want you to write all of the episodes beforehand yeah. so so there's there's a certain amount of um there's a certain amount of extra time that you have that yeah. like, you know, Mike Kelly on revenge did not have. I mean, mm. that was an incredible endeavor that, you know, and, and that he did successfully. Um, and, um, and, and so it's, it, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy, but when you are writing everything, it's, it starts to, you know, it starts to separate things, right? Like there's now it's become, you know, this new thing. And I think this is a lot of like what we're sort of striking about is yeah. that the idea that, you know, that those younger writers, like I was, I was dropped like in broadcast, I was dropped into the deep end of the pool. Like, I mean, I literally, you had to do your outline, then you wrote your script and then you were on set. And then if some showrunners would let you 
go into post, right? And I just, you cut your teeth in all of those jobs and you failed miserably. There were so many times and and you had to eat shit because some incoming director was just like, I'm sorry, who are you? What's your title? And, um, and you just had to deal with that. And now, unfortunately, so many of some younger writers are not having the opportunity to go and do that and to fail and to see like how it all works. So hopefully some of, you know, some of what, you know, we're we're striking about can, you know, can carry through at least as far as some kind of program, um, um, uh, ability to uh, ability to watch your episode be, you know, carried through. Yeah. I completely agree with you. And so after Revenge, forgive me, my chronology is off. Did you go to Bates Motel right after this? I did. I did. You know, I um, I went to Bates um, and I was on the second season of Bates and it was by far one of my like most favorite um, staffing jobs. I think I was like, I don't even know, like supervising producer level on that. I can't remember. Um, but it was me, I was the most junior person in the room and it was me, Carrie, Aaron, Alex Cunningham, Liz Tigelar and Carlton Coos. So it was just five of us and it was very, very small. And, um, um, but it was, it was just, it was just an amazing room everybody was like very, very supportive. It was very safe, um, and very fun. You know, everybody like came to work, but it wasn't like we were there, you know, we were there like all hours. There was nobody that was, you know, no showrunner that was like keeping us because he didn't want to go home or she didn't want to go home. Um, (laughs) I've worked for those people. Same, Same. Um, like, dude, go home. (laughs) And, uh, but no, they were like, it was like reasonable hours, so much fun, so creatively fulfilling. I think that that season was, you know, awesome in my humble opinion and um um and uh were you like a psycho fucking head growing up like what is do you have any emotional connection to like the original or like remember seeing i did no no no. i mean i definitely did i mean i I think that i was more interested in in the you know being a mother like the psychology of a mother that loved her son so much and the way that carrie and carlton wrote um Norma Bates I that was what I subscribed to there was something so fun about the about you know taking the I mean I look at the way that I love my kids and uh, you know I mean they completely have me over a barrel and then this was like taking it to like a like another another level as far as a parent-child relationship and so I think that that was what I subscribed to and then, you know, I think that with the, you know, like the sort of B storyline about the crime that was happening, you know, um, um, the crime that was happening in that community, um, I think that that's what, you know, and that's sort of my bag. And I think that's what, why I was, you know, hired and it's just being a girl that's, you know, more interested in, you know, writing about dead bodies than <laughs> about, you know, romance. And when did, like, when did, I'm, I'm going to jump around, Nikki, I hope you don't mind. Not at all. How did you become involved with Hunters? Because you, the la- like, one of the first times I reconnected with you was at this Amazon Emmy party, the year Miss Maisel won. Yeah. And we both had shows there, and I'm, it brought me so much joy to see you, A, because I was like, ooh, I get to have cigarettes now. <laughs> but also, yes, um, I love seeing you. So, like, how did you end up being involved in this Nazi hunting show? 
Um, it was kind of a weird thing. You know, I had come off an overall deal and decided I did not want to, you know, I, I did not, I, I had a wonderful time on, on both of my overalls. I had overalls at Universal and then at 20th. And then I just decided that I, you know, you're, you're sort of in a, you know, when you're on an overall, you can get into a place where it's very, very broadcast heavy. And I wanted to sort of step away and just sort of like take a chance on the kind of stories that I wanted to be telling versus, you know, versus like sticking something into a box versus sticking something in a box versus coming, you know, being a part of something that was, you know, cool and unique and was going to sort of, um, you know, change the way that we saw the world. And so, you know, I was taking, I was taking like more, you know, interviews for like other like overalls at, you know, at, at places. And, and then the hunter's job came up and I read the script and I remember thinking how like absolutely unique it was. Um, it was created by this guy, uh, David Weil. And I just was like, oh, my God, this is just so fucking cool. And it had soul and guts and heart. Um, and it was sort of beautifully encapsulated in this, in this, um, in this underdog story about a, a boy who loses his grandfather. I mean, I'm sorry, loses his grandmother and realizes that she was part of a group of Nazi hunters, which I think is a, you know, is, is a, an amazing thing for a 19-year-old kid to confront that was played by uh, Logan Lerman, who was just so absolutely wonderful. Um, and, um, and so I read it and it was like, you know, it was a big, it, it, it had a lot of buzz around it, you know, like was Pacino attached? No, when you read it? Okay. no, 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 he was not. Um, but, but Jordan Peele was. Oh, and cool. so there was a, you know, there was a, um, they did like, I mean, I think they interviewed like 20 showrunners and, and, um, and it was my first, you know, it was my first show running job. So I was up against people that had, you know, that had a far, far more experience than I did. Um, did you know it was like a bake-off type thing? Like when you went to have your meeting? Did yeah, you yeah, know yeah. how no, many no. people I, they were meeting, et cetera? I don't know if I knew to the, like the amount. I think at a certain point agents are like, oh, there's like 20 people, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I think that they're managing your expectations, but I don't think they're giving you like yeah. the skinny on, you know. And so I went in and I met with David Weil and I met with Monkey, Monkey Paw and, um, and had, you know, a wonderful meeting and, um, and I thought it went really well, but you know, you just never yeah. know, you know, I mean, I've, I've gone into, I've had showrunner meetings where a showrunner like interviewed me for like two hours and then didn't give me the job. Like it, after, I hour, don't want to kill them. After I hour, feel like I'm TPing your fucking house. After, shit. after hour one, like if you're not going to hire me, like don't please, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm totally joking. I was fine, but I'm like, not, let me go uh, home. If you're not hiring me, fuck you. But, um, yeah. So I did it. And then, you know, I mean, I was, I was meeting on other things and talking to like a bunch of other people, but that was the job that I wanted. So I had, you know, pretty much every, everyone but Santa Claus write a letter on my behalf and um, just speaking to the fact that there, there was a, you know, there was a showrunner in me and, um, and then I got it. And then, um, do you remember where you were when you got that call? I know I was, I was in, I was in DC. My, my boyfriend's sister was graduating from GW and I, I was in DC when I got the call that it was like, down to two and uh, but i can't remember ugh, i feel bad but I, no, I, I can't remember exactly where i was when when i did get the call but uh, yes I, I mean i was elated i was also incredible i mean it was an incredibly 
difficult show. So there was a part of me that was scared, but I sort of feel like if you're scared in any situation, then that's something you should be running towards versus like running away from. And I knew that tonally it was going to be a challenge just because you're dealing, you know, you're portraying the Holocaust and yet there's like a, you know, sort of a, a Tarantino vibe to some of the other storytelling. And it was going to, it was going to be a delicate balance, but I knew that, you know, David had given it a lot of thought and all of that kind of stuff. And it just seemed like an amazing experience. And and it honestly was, it was a, it was just like from all the way through to the support that we had from Jordan Peele and Wynn at Monkey Paw and like, and Chris Rosati and all of those guys to the room that we ended up hiring to shooting in New York, to getting Al Pacino. Um, What was your first meeting with him like? A lot. Hoo-ah. Where did you like? Where did you even meet him? We met at his house. Um, where does Al live? I'm not asking for zip code, but like the general vicinity. Uh, you know, in L.A. or in New York? In really, L.A. Okay, he's in L.A. He okay. does have a house in, in okay. New York, but he also has a house in L.A. Okay, so so you're going to the Pacino house? It was honestly, I was on my way out of <laughs> town. Are you like, what the fuck is my life at this point? It was crazy. It was all right. So by this point. Alfonso Gomez Rayon, who directed The Hunter's Pilot, who is honestly just like not only a wonderful director, but an amazing, amazing human being. Um, so we had we started sending Al scripts and we had a lot of them. We had a lot of them written. Right. And then he wanted to meet us. Right. And I think he wanted to suss out who he was going to be working with. He's an incredibly down to earth man. And it and it's kind of incredible to sort of wrap your head around given the fact that he is this like amazing level of talent and also star power and all all of these different things and yet he's just a really lovely decent human being on top of everything else so we were flying out of town and I remember we went and like met with him it was like 9 30 in the morning or something like that and we went to his house and had a conversation for a couple of hours. And then, you know, uh, we I took a cab to the airport and was like going out of town for Thanksgiving. And then we had another couple of meetings. And then we were like, you know, he had never done TV before. So, uh, you know, a, a, you know, in features, they know how it ends, right? So we were sort of, you know, putting together an entire sort of um package for him with all of the scripts and then and then like some summaries for like the last couple episodes so that he had an understanding of like where it was going to like where his story would ultimately culminate and and I think that it's part of his process I I will say like we had this conversation with him and it was so interesting to watch him take what we were saying and like pull it into his own you know pull it into his own head right and bring it through and then filter it and then and then and then pull it back out and watching it happen in real time it was like a master class and like and 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 like actor study and um and and I'm I'm not I'm honestly not articulating it um well enough but He's kind of amazing, um, amazing, amazing to watch, and um, I and fucking imagine, Holy yeah, shit, yeah, and he's super cool and nice. You know what I mean? That's also it, it, it's nice to be working with people you like. Oh my god! What's also serendipitous is then, and then this will lead me into the next thing is like you ended up making another show of which he was a part of, obviously in the fucking <laughs> offer, which is like bizarro on a level that I was like, I can't get away from Pacino. 
I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think that the, I, I guess it's not really, a, I, I feel like it's, it was no accident. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that the types of things that I'm attracted to, you know, like the, you know, just the, the fucking balls on hunters. I mean, literally like just, you know, just an amazing, an amazing, yeah. you know, set of balls on that show. And, um, and the same with the offer. I think that, I think with hunters and the offer, when both of those were brought to me, it sort of, it, it sort of fed me this, uh, this sort of, or, or at least, um, um, stirred this incredible fear in me because of the responsibility of it, right? Like with hunters, obviously the subject matter, and then and then in the offer, you know, just the responsibility of doing the making of what is arguably the greatest film of all time. Um, it was just like. You know, kind of like, you know, like, <laughs> just like, fuck, don't fuck this up. My dad used to say that to me all the time. Just don't fuck it up. Don't and, fuck it up. Um, and yeah. And then, yeah, Nicole Clemens and Jenna Santoriani called me and said that they're doing the making of The Godfather and it was incredibly hush hush. And, um, and, um, and they were like, would you consider running it? And so they sent me some scripts and, or uh, there had been like a or a pilot or a, a pilot of script at that point. I, I can't remember exactly. Um, and I was like, okay. And um, this was like during COVID, right? So at that point, like I had come off Hunters and and um, and and knew that I wasn't going to go back. Like David, like had it. Like there was no, you know what I mean. Like he he, he had it in the first season, you know. Yeah. So it was like, um, and. Um, and I knew that I wanted to do something else. And then I was taking a lot of meetings and then COVID happened and I was taking all of these, these crazy meetings all at once. Right. And, and at the beginning of COVID, I was like, I'm just going to go down like the road with all of these projects, knowing that, you know, after a third position, somebody's going to be like, fuck off. We're not doing it. Right. But it was COVID. So everybody was like, I mean, it was the first time in my career that I negotiated a project in fifth position and uh, the offer was not that project but um but um so I was like doing a lot of sort of things like simultaneously with the North Star being the godfather and the both Jenna and Nicole who I had you know Jenna was my executive on Hunters and then went to Paramount and then Nicole Clemens and I knew each other personally and she knew sort of uh, th this history that I had had with my father who was I I was very close to and, you know, and when I was, a, I wrote a pilot, you know, over at the beginning of COVID, just my father had died. He died on the, um, the first day of filming for Hunters. And, um, and so I really didn't have an opportunity to grieve because I just kept on going to set. <laughs> and, um, and so when I came off of Hunters, I was like, all right, I want to write this, if nothing more than to write this project that was like, it was like loosely based on my life, but essentially a love letter to my father. Yeah. And part of that is that, you know, when I was a kid growing up, um, um, uh, I, I was basically like Meno Soprano. I was basically, I grew up wondering whether my father was Tony Soprano and it largely informed what I write, what I like, like who surrounded me, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's why I don't lean into things that are more girly because that just wasn't what, you yeah. know, I mean, my mom, you know, watches, you know, romance shit, but I don't, you know, and, um, and just the fact that my father had exposed me to the Godfather when I was quite young and, 
and made it okay that I could like that stuff and then made it okay when I liked Mean Streets and when I liked Taxi Driver and it was okay for a girl to like those things because none of the girls that I was around, surrounded by, did. So anyways, Nicole and Jenna knew that, came to me, and um, and then that's how it started. And then it was just like research, just research, dump, dive. You yeah, know, how does someone, dump. how do you dump dive into something like that where you're like, how, like where do you even start? I mean, there's a ton of books, right? There's a ton of books. There's a ton of interviews. There's a ton of all of that, right? It was just like a lot of it had been like some of it had been like stuck together. And there was like a lot of there was a lot of sort of like pre-research that like had been done. But then I needed to go through it and I need to understand it. So as I as I was going into um, the, you know, like breaking the season, breaking the entire season, it was just about like cherry picking like as I was going through cherry picking like what details and then knowing that that I had to stick to like a certain timeline there was also the added sort of pressure of like it's not a documentary right so it had to be entertaining so there were like what things what things do you take creative license with and pull up as far as like timeline goes to make the story without compromising the heart and the the soul of like what was happening the other thing that was incredibly challenging was it was told you know, it was a story about Al Ruddy, who was the producer on The Godfather. It was not, you know, it was not told from Coppola's point of view or Peter Bart's per- point of view or um, or Robert Evans' point of view. It was told from, you know, I mean, it was it was Ruddy's story. It was Ruddy's recollection. So we sort of used his recollection and. Michael Tolkien had interviewed Al Ruddy, which like over like the course of a couple weeks and stuff. And then there was like this sort of like giant, you know, like 150 page single space, like, you know, interview. And then it was like taking that and then and then and then cross checking it against Evan's biography, you know, um, um, uh, Peter. I always butcher his name, but uh, Peter Biskins, or it's B-I-S-K-I-N-D. Yeah, um, Easy Riders. Yeah, Easy Rider, yeah. Um, you know, a number, like a, a number of different resources, interviews, all of that kind of stuff, while sort of being tethered to Ruddy's version of, you know, Ruddy's version of events. Dude, I mean, first of all, it was so fucking good. Thank you. The thing that I that I loved about it, aside from, like, everything is that Betty McCart was like an actual character and not just like an assistant or, and, and that she truly was such a fucking badass. And that I, I was so glad that in this show of like larger than life men, whether it's Robert Evans or Al Ruddy or fucking Pacino or Francis, it's like, it, it, she wasn't just a background character. And I totally applaud you for, for finding that and, and bringing that to the forefront of the television. Thank you. Thank I I'll, I'll totally take that compliment. It wasn't easy. You know, we had we had a lot a lot of great stuff from Ruddy about Betty, but she wasn't like like if if you google her, yeah. like it's, it's there's like one photo out there. There's not a lot on her. So, we basically took this character and 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 then and it had some like when we were building her, it was like we had like little pieces of information like this girl was Al Ruddy's assistant. But for some reason, like Charlie Bluedorn and her were fr- like Charlie Bluedorn wanted her opinion on things. So what kind of woman? How would she be not like? What kind of woman? What would she have had to have done in order to get this guy that was this you know sort of um, abrasive, you know CEO yeah. to 
to take interest in her and to and 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 so it was really like finding you know like this 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 sort of um, this dynamic between that that was kind of like a a balance of the the balls and like the femininity and also like you know understanding the time that we were that we were writing in you know yeah. what i mean which was was essentially m- most of the show takes place from like 69 to like 73 right yeah. so it's like understanding the sexual politics that she must have been like navigating at that time and not ignoring them but also like it's not like you talked about it all the time when you yeah. were navigating it. It's yeah. not, you know, like, you know, yes, there's a conversation in there about the the length of the length of uh, it's with Andrea Eastman, who uh, played by Stephanie Koenig. Um, and it's about uh, it's it's essentially a conversation about feminism and the size of your skirt. And um, but I don't think there were too many you know situations where it was like, you know, we didn't want to have her like talking being preachy about something that people weren't you know necessarily preachy about during that time absolutely gloria steinem excluded (laughs) (laughs) but um um a lot of women that were making it in that industry at that time those women betty mccart the stevie phillips the you know the sue mengers all of those women were playing by like a different rule book and that was the coolest part uh, you know about Betty to write. I also love that you brought back Burn from Revenge. I saw that and I was like, holy shit. Was he in the episode yes. when we were there? Yes. When I was there? Yes. He was. Uh, dude, I saw that and I was like, because I remember his name from forever. I just like remember seeing on a call sheet like Burn. I was like, what a fucking cool name. And so when I saw him, I was like, oh my God, that's the dude. Burn from Revenge. I was I like, Nikki's like, revenge has come full circle. I feel like he was, I felt like he was on the third season, but maybe I wasn't there. I wasn't there. I was asked to leave. Third season. I probably would have been asked to leave too, but I left <laughs> earlier. I, I went like to Mike Kelly and I was like, I really want to develop and do and go on something different. And he was like, dude, do it. That was like the, Mike Kelly was like the best as far as like just being supportive of going like your, you know, your own, your own path. But yeah, burn is amazing. And I, I still, I mean, I'm still like, you know, I, we went to Europe this summer and, um, and I was like, you know, texting with me. He's like, are you, are you making it to London? Cause he lives in London. Um, and, uh, I couldn't make it, but, um, I just, but he's I mean, amazing. Oh my God. He was so amazing. And, and what a hard role to play. You're playing like, you know what I mean? Like, Austrian, kind of crazy, you know, like the accent. The I mean, it had yeah, to be. I, his accent was so good. Like my wife hates it because we'll be wherever I'll be like, Ruddy! like shut the <laughs> fuck up, Matt. Shut the fuck up. It could have <laughs> it could have gone a different way. So I'm very happy. Burn was so magical and and also just a lovely. You know, like a lovely person. We were really lucky. I mean, the cast was amazing. The cast was amazing. And I feel like I was lucky on both, you know, Hunters and The Offer as far as like the cast just being not only like ridiculously talented, but also just being nice people and everybody being so there's something there's something there's like a you know, like a spirit when when everybody is so collectively game and excited about what it is that they're working on. And um, it's just like a wonder it hasn't happened on every show I've been on, but on my last two, you know, on, on hunters and, um, and the offer, you know, when you do have it, it's just, it's just, it's just a gift, you know, yeah. it's just, yeah. The other part of the offer that, that was very moving to me, uh, 
when I watched it, I was having this crisis of like, why? You know, they had just canceled Fairfax, and I was like, I spent took me five fucking years to do that, and like, you know, it takes years to do any of these things, and they're miracles to get anything made is like a truly a modern miracle. It is. And for a minute, I was like, I should have never left Paramount. Like, why the fuck? I should have just been a studio guy. I would have had a W two and a four hundred one k and yibbidi bibbidi ba. And while I was having this like crisis of like. You know, I, I called people that worked at Paramount and nearly like tried to get a job again. And there's that moment in the in the offer where Robert Evans is like he's talking about Al Ruddy, but it, uh, he's like his name's on the fucking poster. Like that's what I want. Like I I am the studio guy, and like I'm gonna leave and pursue my own career and do my own thing and be my own man. And what's amazing is he goes and makes the longest yard. Like that. A, I didn't really know that, and I consider myself, you know, for someone who is almost 40, like, uh, who knows a lot about Robert Evans, and I didn't really understand, like, yeah, why would you, why would you, like, leave that when you are the king and go and do this thing by your own and, like, have your own production deal, and I, it made me realize, like, oh, yeah, like, that, that's fucking why, like, because my name, I'll be dead, and hopefully, unless they do the David Zaslav thing and burn it off of Amazon, it will be there and forever <laughs> until I'm dead. And I saw that at a moment when I really needed it, and I just wanted to tell you that because, you know, I'll take a sign wherever the fuck it came from, but Robert Evans is always someone that I idolize and look up to, and so watching that show was just like dessert. I was just like, yeah. hey, give me, <laughs> give me, yeah. give me, give me. Yeah. And so that was very important for me to realize, like, oh, yeah, like that's why you be your own person and make your own way and – you know, I I wanna I want shit to say like you know created by so and so or written by so and so. That's the fucking dream. And my wife, you know, when I have these crises or like even during the strike, when she's like, "Dude, if you had a magic wand, what the fuck would you do?" I'd be like, "I'd be running a show in a writer's room." She's like, "Then shut the fuck up and go back in your little podcast office and write." And, yeah, no, I mean it, it 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 is. I mean it it really is true. I mean I think there's been like a couple of times in my career where I have made scary moves that were like moving away from something that was financially secure to, to, you know, not so much like betting on oneself, but like, I guess, I mean, I guess it is that, I mean, I guess it's just more like you having the balls to sort of, um, um, walk away and do something original, unique, whatever, like walking away from, you know, like, overall like an overall deal is not and 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 that's not entirely like exactly you know exactly like how it's like a normal it's like the normalist it's like the most regulated normal version of a job us writers can have is like i'm gonna get a paycheck every month or week or yeah and yeah i mean so it's like you know job security sort of the job security part of it particularly as a woman with three children you know was a was a very hard thing but every time i did those things like what i was speaking to like with mike kelly and, and his wonderful support during that time um and then and then you know and then um and then, you know, and then going out to a thing where I was not going to be on an overall deal and was, you know, and was taking, you know, take, taking a, a pay cut. Um, um, but it didn't matter. Right. It was like those moments, those moments, you know, matter where, you know, where you sit down and 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 write something new and bet on yourself. And that's why I say, like, I give myself I have a rule that I have one night to be sad about something. So like if my pilot doesn't go and I don't care if it's a pilot you've been working on for whatever, or for a year, for whatever, blah, 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 your show gets canceled, blah, 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 blah. You get one night, you can cry if you want. You can get like, you can get fucking hammered. You can get, you can do whatever you want. But the next morning 
you turn that like boo fucking who into action yeah and it's the only way like you know and it's also helpful to yourself just because you're like oh my god i'm gonna do this i'm gonna whatever you know i'm gonna figure out a way to pick myself back up even though i'm heartbroken and there are some there have been a lot of heartbreaks and obviously we know that there's like a ton of rejection i mean you're just i mean you're honestly just eating shit it's like (laughs) just i mean no matter what level and um and uh and just like picking yourself back up and, you know, and just being like, you know, fuck you, I'm coming back. You know? Yeah, it's a thankless job, but I do enjoy it. I don't know what it is. It's really fun. It's it's the best. And it's like, it's a kind of amazing, you know, I mean, it, you know, sometimes you have to pinch yourself. Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of ridiculous that we can get paid to to do this. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you know, it's it's a, you know. Did you were you did you get to have a premiere for the offer or did COVID ruin that? We did. We had a wonderful premiere. It was at Paramount. Um, oh, and, dude, this uh, must have been the dream. Oh, just was, like walking around the fucking lot. It was really, it was really amazing. And like Paramount, you know, like really did did like a lovely premiere. And we watched. I think we watched maybe the first two episodes. Like I can't marathon remember. marathon screening room in that big ass, huge, gorgeous yes, one. Yes, it was very big. And then it was just honestly, I mean, I, 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 you know, my head was on like a, I feel like my head was like on a swivel all night. Like oh, when yeah. you're in those things, it's very overwhelming yeah. and you're talking to so many different people, but just the collective joy and the reaction was so positive. Um, it was, it was, it was like a magical evening and I was like there with, you know, everyone that was like, you know, the writers and then there were so many of the actors and then so many of, of, you know, the behind the, you know, behind the scenes people who, you know, unfortunately, you know, aren't, aren't, aren't given premieres at all. There were a lot of them there, you know what I mean? That, um, was Rudd, is Ruddy in health enough to go? Was he able to go to the premiere? He didn't go to the premiere. His daughter, his daughter, Allie attended, um, and, um, um, but he's like, I mean, that guy is just talk about a fighter. You know what I mean? I went I mean, to his, just... I went to his daughter's wedding, and like he spoke, and like forget the fact that he's like ninety three. He's like still pissing vinegar. It was incredible. Oh my god, yeah, it no, was so awesome. I love, I love like any conversation I have ever had with him. I mean, he is just a hoot to talk to. I mean, he's so much fun, and um, and uh, and just um. Yeah, it, it was just remarkable. It was really remarkable. So we sort of took like that like fiery spirit and then put it into this, you know, uh, you know, put it into all of the various decisions he was making throughout the course of the season. And of course, having like Miles bring him to life, which it, Miles is He was just, so good. It's ridiculous. He is so good. He is just so good. He's just like the con- a consummate professional. And, um, and, and he was a lovely, lovely number one to have on um, – on a call sheet and um um he was great he was just awesome so strike no strike like what do you if someone had a magic wand for you like what do you want to do next is that like a dumb question you're like i just want to work um i mean i i just really want to work but um (laughs) yeah i mean there's like you know there's like i have a lot of pro you know i'm on a deal so i at paramount um um so i um you know, I'm uh, I'm dealing with once we come out of the strike, yeah. I will be like reengaging in all of the projects that I had to press pause on. Well, listen, I, I I'll wrap it up by saying, A, thank you for all of the wonderful content over the years. Thanks. B, thank you for coming all the way to Laurel Canyon to uh, have a wonderful beverage and a smoke and a talk with your old pal. Absolutely. Um, and Anytime. dude, like you are you are just 
the fucking greatest. Like truly, like I I think the world of you, and I'm so excited to just see you continue your reign of, of Hollywood. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. Well, hopefully we'll find ourselves back in a room together. I soon. would love that, dude.